letter to Titus. Find that after First and Second Timothy there in the pastorals, just before Hebrews, the last big book in the New Testament. As we continue this, this series, what's a church? What is a church? Last week we talked about the cornerstone, Jesus. How we are really a, a building, we're a body, uh, we're a structure that's being built up around this cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And so today we're asking the question, what is it? If we're going to be unified around the cornerstone of Christ, what does it look like for us to maintain unity? A friend of mine uh, who, who works at a church, an un, a church that I will not name, uh, somewhere in America, told me a story of how uh, the pastor that he served under retired, and he's been kind of left manning the ship. And he's had an incredible struggle with, with his church maintaining unity. And I asked him, I said, well, why? You know, can, can you tell me why do you think it is that your, chur- that your church is, is struggling to maintain unity? And he said this. He said, well, the pastor who just retired, he built this church pretty large. And he did it by telling everyone else in this town who was upset with their church that they wouldn't have those problems here. He he told them, oh, you don't like contemporary music? It'll always be traditional here. Oh, you don't like red carpet? Well, ours is blue. You don't like what they did with the church bus over there? We always rent ours. You don't like 1030 worship? We have ours at 11. It'll always be that way. You don't like 11? We have an early service. This raises the question, what is a church to be unified around? What is the source of true unity? Is it preferences, traditions, opinions? See, last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, we saw that there, that there is a cornerstone around whom we gather, and that cornerstone is Jesus. The reality of who Jesus is, it informs all that we are to be and to do. And this means that certain truths are important. In other words, if we're going to gather around the cornerstone of Jesus, we're going to have to answer this question What is it that we need to understand from the Bible that is true of Him in order for us to unify around Him? It's actually common, though, for people to say or for people to think that the way to get unity is to throw doctrine overboard, right? Because we're told doctrine is what divides. You know, truth is what divides. And if we can just throw some of these really kind of inconvenient things overboard, then maybe then we can have unity. But really what happens when we do this is just kind of this hollow togetherness. It's not genuine unity that's, that's based on and founded around who Jesus is and the knowledge of the truth of His gospel. 
So today I would like to read rather actually kind of a lengthy portion of Titus. Titus is not an incredibly long letter, but I'm going to read most of chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 as we look to see what it is we should be unified around. Let's listen to this story, really, of a church that needs some help and that God has given help to. Paul's letter to Titus begins this way. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised long before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. So Paul and Titus kind of have this elder and younger relationship, this mentor and mentee relationship. Grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Listen to what he says in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so for this fledgling church, for this this church plant on this little island in Crete that, as we're going to find out, has some problems of their own, what is God's prescription for them? It is good doctrine mediated through healthy church leadership. That seems to be what the prescription is. Verse 10, he says this. For, he says in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you would set these things up. Verse 10, 4. So why do we need sound doctrine? Why do we need healthy church leadership? Verse 10, 4. Read, because there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and consciences are defiled. Listen to this. They profess to know God. In other words, they, they say these words. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit, unfit for, every, for any good work. So this church has some problems, has some issues that they need to, to work through. And then look what he says after, after enumerating, after listing all of these problems. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 1, the, nary, the, the very next verse. He says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
That's the prescription that God gives here. I, friends, would you pray with me now before we, uh, before we delve into these verses? Pray with me as we continue. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that it is a clear word. Thank you that it is sufficient. And thank you that it tells us, even for a church like the church in Crete, this little fledgling church plant, that they need exactly what we need, which is good, pure doctrine. We need to be unified around the truth Thank you for giving us the gifts that we need in order to see this come about in our midst. And Lord, I pray that you would leave your hand upon us. Would you put your hand upon us so that we could be exactly the church that we need to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I've entitled this sermon, Unified Around Truth, because it seems that the pattern that Paul... God gives to this fledgling little church plant on this island of Crete that has its own little bag of problems. He gives them a prescription, and the prescription he gives them is really nothing unique. It is exactly what every single church needs. And it is, friends, I would say, what we need. And it is what we need to, to strive toward and what I feel a personal responsibility to strive for myself. So the first point is this. Bad doctrine breeds disunity. Bad doctrine breeds disunity. In other words, it matters what you believe. Your church will only be as healthy as the health of the things that we believe. And, and the, the reality is this. While I, I talk about these words like doctrine and theology, and it might seem dry and it might seem heady and really kind of only something that an egghead would talk about, the reality is this. Everybody in the room is a theologian. Everybody here has a set of beliefs about God. And what you believe about God will determine the health of your relationship with Him. If you believe good and true and healthy things about who He is, biblical things, your relationship will, with Him will be one that is true and good and healthy and, and edifying. But if you believe things that are, that are off or, or even unbiblical it's going to have an effect on your ability to relate with God, and it's, it's even going to spill over into your relationships with other people. Bad doctrine breeds disunity, and this is what we see here in the church at Crete. So, so why Paul says in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete that you might put what remained into order. So you can imagine Paul traveling on his missionary journeys, and they get to, Paul and his little band of, 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 of disciples, they get to this little island of Crete, and they say, you know what, here's an example of, of a church that needs some, some help and some leadership. Titus, I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to pass the baton to you. You set in order what remains so that this church may be healthy. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, why should you do all this? Why should you set up good healthy church practices and healthy church leadership? Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate. In other words, there are many around who are believing things that are not true about God. And the church is starting to drink these things in. And as the church starts to drink in or imbibe of these false things about God, then the church is going to be in danger. It says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So, they must, these people who are teaching things that are not good, verse 11, they must be silenced, for they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach, 
for the sake of sordid gain. So we see here a picture of a church kind of, kind of under siege because, because there are things that are not true about God that are being taught. And as these things are being taught and believed by the people, it's even putting division between whole families because they're, they're not believing, they're not unified around what is true biblically. The only way for us to be unified is to unify around what is true. And friends, I will say this is why I'm teaching on Wednesday nights through systematic theology, through, through what it is that we believe. We have to be able to put these things together in a way that makes sense. This is also why I value and why I think we should as a church value expository preaching, preaching as a pattern through whole books of the Bible, verse at a time or a section at a time. Because just as a family begins to have inside jokes and, and a shared body of knowledge, if we begin going through the same books together, we go through Philippians together, we go through James together, we go through the Gospel of John together, there are going to be times when we as a church encounter a question or we encounter a challenge or even a problem, or something that we need to make a decision on, and what's going to happen, I believe, in the fullness of time, as churches are trained to go through the Bible together, is what will happen is, as an issue arises, or a question arises, suddenly people will begin to say, wait a second, we've, we've covered this territory. And as a matter of fact, we went through it together, because remember, James answers this question, so here's what we'll do, because we know what to do, because we as a faith family here at the church at Trenton Baptist are walking through the whole counsel of God's Word together. Our conversations will be formed, will be molded and, and, and put into shape by, by God's Word sharpening us and, and chiseling us where necessary and, and even, yes, correcting us. This is the pattern this is the pattern here that, that Titus tells us. He says, basically, here are these people. They're teaching bad things. It's causing uh, division and, and even whole families. But as for you, the prescription, the solution, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. We must be unified around what is true. This is a larger biblical pattern. We see it in John 17, 17. Jesus himself prays these words to the Father. He says for his disciples, he prays to God the Father, sanctify them. In other words, make them more like God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So even Jesus himself, when he walked the earth, taught that the only way to become more like God is by delving deeper into what is true biblically. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, what Jacob just read, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. So friends, I would say this to you. Fight for truth. 
Whenever you, in the morning when you have your coffee before work or at night when the kids are in bed and you have a quiet moment to yourself, whenever you crack open your Bible and you begin to have that quiet time or that devotional time, whenever you decide to show up to church and go to a small group or a or Sunday school classroom or whenever you, you ask a question and, and seeking an answer, what you are doing By gathering with the local church, all of these things, what you are doing is engaging in an act of spiritual warfare. You are not only fighting for the truth so that you may become a healthier believer, you're actually fighting for the health of everybody else around you. Everything that you do in your personal life matters and it contributes to the health of the church because, friends, we're not just a collection of individuals who happen to gather at the same church house a couple of times a week. We're actually a people that God has called out and he has given us one another so that we might sharpen one another, so that we might push one another toward Jesus and help one another along in our relationships with, uh, with God. So fight for truth, seek truth. And I would say also, there's a word of balance here. While you will often hear me say, you need to fight for truth, you need to be serious about what is biblically right and doctrine and theology and all of these things that we're going to emphasize here and that that we're going to teach, not every issue is a hill to die on. There are some things that are gospel issues that we must fight for. And, And as a matter of fact, many times things that are not gospel issues When we press a little further, we find that they really are, that they're connected to the gospel. Just uh, in in the very near future, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is an incredibly important symbol. It's not just a little sentimental thing that we do that makes us feel good. It is a picture of the gospel, so we need to do it rightly, and we need to do it well. Baptism, I believe, is another picture of the gospel that needs to be done rightly and need to be done well. But I am am reminded that not every hill is a hill to die on. There's an old story that I'll tell you, or a, a saying, and it's, it's just, it's right where I live because I went to seminary and things. You know, before seminary, every hill is a hill to die on, right? Getting ready to throw down over the, over the, the smallest little issue. You know, when you, when you show up to seminary, it seems like everything is a hill to die on. During seminary, you're taught that you really need to choose which hills you're going to die on. You need to be wise about it, right? And then you go and you, you go into ministry and you get to a church and you're told which hills you will die on, right? That's, that seems to be the progression. That you, you're made aware of which hills you're going to die on, right? It seems to be how it goes. We need to have balance. We need to fight for truth. We need to also, in things that are open-handed, have charity with our brothers and sisters who might disagree on open-handed issues. These two things are what contribute to the health of the church. So that's the first point. The first point is bad doctrine breeds disunity. The second point is this. Healthy doctrine protects, uh, I'm sorry, healthy church life protects doctrine. Notice what's going on here. If you look in verse 10 and following, there's an interesting little development. Four, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, for they are upsetting whole families, teaching things for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. This is one of the most uncomfortable parts of ministry, I would say. That you imagine stepping into a role, people don't know you, they don't know to trust you from Adam, and you have to like step in and, 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 and you know, 
make sure that the doctrine is pure and that people are believing things. You're actually called to, to confront people when they're believing things that are not healthy. Why? For the, for the health of the church. A good friend of mine basically says this, ministry is conflict. Ministry is conflict. Why? And I would say the church, the Christian life is conflict. Why? Because we are all wrestling with these Genesis 3 tendencies inside of us. We're all trying to make, like if you look at, think of a Venn diagram, the two big circles. There's who God is and who Jesus is, right? This right and true. And there's, then there's the reality of our life. And we're trying to make these circles overlap. But there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of friction because I know how big of a sinner I am. And I don't sometimes want my circle to overlap where Jesus is because I like life the way that I like life. But the reality is we are called to this holy and good fight to be holy as God is holy. And when we enter into a church and we covenant with one another and we say, I'm going to give you, church member, I'm going to give you the key to my life. And you can, you can have the keys to call me out when you see me wandering, but I'm also, I'm also going to do the same for you because why? I love you. I love you. We are called to one another. But look what else happens after verse 10. Look at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So there's two things going on here. Two parts of this solution that Paul gives to the church that Titus is responsible for here on the island of Crete. And one, he says, the solution is this. You need healthy church leadership. You need elders, pastors, elders, just as another word for pastors, and you need deacons. Now, I need to, I need to confess something to you before I go any further. I'm getting ready to venture into territory that's uncomfortable for me, right? Because I'm getting ready to talk about the qualifications for those who lead the church. And so it might seem like I'm saying that, oh, Brother Greg thinks he's really arrived at all of this, right? That's not exactly what I'm trying to say. I do believe that, that I haven't disqualified myself in any way. But this is, this is the standard that God holds me and I would say he, he holds our, our leadership, our, our deacons accountable uh, by. And I, I need to say this to you. I want you to hear me say this publicly. When you leave your home and, and sell your home and accept a call and you move 400 miles away from mom and dad and mother-in-law and father-in-law and family and you're trying to do it all yourself, you hope that when you get there, you will find the kind of deacons that we have here. Friends, I am immensely thankful for the body of deacons that we have at Trenton Baptist Church. And I think that you should be too. And if you feel that way, what I'm going to ask you to do is to tell them that before you leave here today. I have seen these men act in integrity in a number of ways that encourages me to also act in integrity and to do this, to be biblically qualified, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent for greedy gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? Because doctrine matters so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also, when necessary and uncomfortable, 
to rebuke those who contradict it. Friends, this is a, a, a high call. It is something that intimidates me every single day when I wake up and roll out of bed. I am sometimes even overwhelmed by the task that the Lord has given me because I know that I am walking toward a judgment one day. One day, when I stand before the Lord, the only thing is, that's going to matter is not what anybody thought of me or not, not any of that other dross. The only thing that is going to matter is whether I discharged my duties faithfully. It says in Hebrews 13, 17, another very uncomfortable verse for me to like read, but it's in the Bible, so I'm, I'm, I'm constrained to do it. I'm bound to do it. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The point is not that your leaders, me, the point is not that you ought to follow me because I will be perfect. Because I won't be, and I am not. The point is that we honor God by submitting ourselves to Him, by being submitted to the church. Why? Because it's the church and the church leadership that are going to have to answer to a holy God one day for how they discharged their duties. Friends, this is a heavy and weighty and weighty task. And all I can say to you is that I am attempting to walk as circumspectly as I can, knowing that one day... I will have to give an account for even every idle word. The words of James that we just covered not too many weeks ago, not many of you should desire to become teachers because you will be judged more strictly. It weighs over me. But there's not only that prescription that you need to have healthy church leadership there are encouragements to the congregation. The congregation themselves are, are in view here. Look what it says. It says in verse 12, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Friends, have you ever heard maybe on a TV show someone call somebody else a Cretan? Right? Well, now, that, that person is such a Cretan. Okay, it, it, this, this word, just, it became a slur. It became like a, like a piece of slander. When, when you wanted to call, when you wanted to insult somebody, you called them a citizen of Crete. That would be, that would be very uh, upsetting to many of us if somehow a Trentonite became used as a slur. All them folks from Trenton down there, like that would be uncomfortable, I think, for most of us. This is what happened on the island of Crete. They were so known for lying and for, for being lazy and, and gluttonous but what Paul says is what's bad is that these local sins, you know, these local sins have seeped into the church. He says, and this should not be the case among God's people. God's people should be the people in their community that are not like the rest of the community in terms of the local sins. You know, I moved away from my, from my home in 2012 and when I returned for holidays or, or for summer or whatever, I began to notice that there were some things about my community that I had never noticed before, right? But I had been away and I'd seen something else and then come back and I was like, you know, isn't it interesting that we do things this way? And isn't it interesting that this happens all the time? And isn't this interesting, right? 
there, there were certain local sins here on the island of Crete that the people of God had become to, they hadn't laid them aside when they came to Christ. And so Paul is telling them, Titus, you got to make sure, you got to make sure that the people who go to church and who call themselves church members and who are named by Christ, that they do not look like the world that has not been changed by Christ. We ought to be friends. We ought to be different. We ought not to be holier than thou, but we ought to be different, I would say. So there, there are encouragements to the church leadership, and then there's encouragements to the church body because these two groups march together, as it were. Lastly, I want to give you a glimpse into why all of this matters. Number three, and the final point, the purpose for all of this is eternal. The purpose is eternal. If you want to look down at, at Titus chapter 2, verse 11, why does he give all these instructions? Why does he, he parse all of these different things out? There's another for statement here. Another purpose statement. You see that? For or because in chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and then look, to purify for himself a people. In other words, to call us out of our sin and into a church to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Friends, I want to draw your attention back to this phrase in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Why should we care? about having healthy church leadership? Why should we care about being healthy, a healthy church member? Why should we care about all of these things that he talks about? Why should we care about doctrine? Why should we give a care about, about theology? Because eternal things are at stake. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Friends, we need to be a healthy church because the healthier we are, the, the better we're going to be able to take this gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. Why do we need to have healthy church leadership? Why do we need to, to have healthy church membership? Because there's a connection here to the grace of God appearing and our ability to share that message with other people. He says, you need to set up, you need to set in order what remains. You need to have a healthy church. Why? Because eternity is coming awfully, awfully fast. Friends, I don't, I'm not a pessimist, but I want to preach every sermon that I preach believing that some of you might not be here next Sunday. It's possible. It's possible. And I want to preach thinking that it's possible that I might not even be here 
next Sunday. Friends, we are marching toward eternity at a breakneck speed. Eternal things are at stake, and the, but the grace of God has appeared, and it brings salvation for all people. Our community needs us to be a healthy church. Our na- the nations need us to be a healthy church because the grace of God has appeared, and the local church, Trenton Baptist Church, is God's plan A for the gospel going forth. Friends, what we are gathered here to do is incredibly, incredibly important. 1 Timothy 4.16 puts it this way, and I'll close here. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the doctrine. Persist in this. Look, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch on yourself, your personal life, and on the doctrine, on what you teach and what you believe. Why? Because if you do this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. Friends, let's commit ourselves to knowing the Scriptures. Let's commit ourselves to knowing what is true about God. And then let's commit ourselves to, as a church, gathering around what is true about the cornerstone, Jesus Let's be a healthy church so that our neighborhood and the nations can hear a clear gospel. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this word that you've given us in Titus. I pray that it would be helpful. I pray that it would edify the believers here. I pray that through, through hearing about the gospel, if there is one today who is recognized, you know, I'm, I'm not a part of this building. I'm not gathered around Jesus. I, I've never come to him. I've never, I've never repented of my sins. I've never turned away from my life and given the keys of my life over to Jesus. And, and then moreover, over to a church. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that today as we respond, we would respond in the way that is pleasing to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, I'm going to...